Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to episode 156 of the BJJ Brick Podcast. My name is Byron. I'm here with my good buddy, Gary. What's happening, my friend? Man, I'm ready for another great episode. We have Andy Pye on the show today. Um, the dude is just uh, awesome. The interview is incredible. And I love the end where, uh, you know, he talks about, you know, being uh, being a good person in school, having friends instead of just uh, totally hardcore. Stay tuned for the end of it. Don't miss that part. Uh, so we have some great dialogue going. Yep. Hey, speaking of the end, uh, the beginning of this interview, you know, like a little personal history of Andy. He's he is really a pioneer in uh, jujitsu in China. Like he's he's the guy. He he was in the first MMA fight that was televised in in China, and he won it. But and he tells that story. But he's just. He was so early on over there, and uh, still is, and he's got some strong opinions about about what's happening in the current environment over there. But towards the end of the episode, um, it gets a little – the language is uh, not safe for work uh, on loudspeaker. So if uh, you're offended by uh, you know a little bit more extreme language – uh, you know, heads up on that one, but, uh, it's a lot of great content. It, uh, he's not using it in a way that's like derogatory towards anybody. It's just, uh, somebody who's passionate and talking yeah, about he's just showing his passion for, you know, what he believes in. And, and just by the way he's communicating and just talking about it, you, you just feel that passion. And, um, you know, it sounds like, uh, if you could train with him, boy, you, you would, uh, you would just love it. You'd have an incredible instructor, somebody, uh, uh, to teach you. Yep. Speaking of people who feel uh, passion uh, for jujitsu or just for the podcast, we have uh, four of our friends, uh, Greggy, Alexander, Sean, and Rob, are supporting us on Patreon. Um, we're considering making some changes to Patreon in the future, but right now, if you want to support the podcast uh, per episode, uh, swing by our Patreon page. Check it out. The link will be in the show notes, and you can watch a little video of me, of me explaining it. And uh, help us out. Those guys are doing it, and it's really been uh, very helpful to the show. Speaking of watching uh, Byron on a video, (laughs) hey, how about you listen to Byron uh, explain your first year in BJJ? Uh, Byron has an audio book. It's another way to support the show. It's only $11.99 for two and a half hours of content. And basically, it's uh, helping you through the first year of jiu-jitsu. We do have a link to it on the show notes. So check it out. Um, Everything from picking a school to entering your first tournament. It's getting some great reviews. So check it out. Support the show. Your first year in BJJ, only $11.99. Yep. And then we've gotten good reviews on it. And I really hope it helps you out and and gets you through that first year of, of your training and on towards long-term success you know byron how long have we trained together uh i i walked in on the mats i think it was either april or may of 2002 and you were already there so uh yep so uh, just so you guys know i i was on the match before byron yes you were but did we know each other beforehand negative and you know the cool thing is we're friends now that's what uh, that's what they say yep. <laughs> speaking of that we have an awesome quote from a guy named Muhammad Ali, and I bet you all know who Muhammad Ali is. Um, but he says, friendship is not something you learn in school. But if you haven't learned the meaning of friendship, 
you haven't really learned anything. Wow. And that's, it's a big quote coming from a, a legendary uh, person in the combat sports talking about how important uh, friends are. From a guy who is known kind of for his trash talking too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, and it, it kind of goes along a little bit with our, with our interview um, with Andy Pye there too. But, you know, I guess you could take this any different way. You, you know, you could talk about, you know, just friends or, or whatever. But, you know, I, I'm taking it back to the, uh, uh, you know, your jujitsu school, your, your academy. And, you know, we can just go in and uh, learn techniques, learn barambolas, learn flying arm bars, learn the Boston Crab and the Iron Claw, whatever we need to learn. Uh, but, you know, I, I kind of think that there's something a little more important than that. There, there's the friendship you learn in there. There's, there's the people you meet. Um, you know, it's such a diverse group of people we meet, anywhere from doctors to professional fighters. And, you know, that's one thing I always thought was crazy. When, when you go into a gym, you'll see a, a very educated person who, who doesn't want to fight, who just wants to get in there to blow off a little steam. And next thing you know, he becomes friends with the, uh, with the MMA fighter who is just a flat out straight killer, you know, basically. And it's, uh, it's kind of cool, the friendships you developed and, and those friendships are so strong because you're, you know, you're, you're in mutual combat together. I mean, you guys are just trying to tweak each other's necks, trying to choke each other's out, trying to straighten the arm and bend it in the wrong way. So you get such a deep respect for your training partners. And, uh, you know, and, and I think about all the times I've trained jujitsu and, you know, I can think of all the moves Byron has taught me, all the moves other people have taught me, but in all honesty, the friendship, in my opinion, is much more rewarding. You know, if I was the crappiest jujitsu guy, which I probably am, <laughs> the, I, I don't, I don't care because all the cool friends I met, you know, during the time doing this sport. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's, uh, if all, and, and this gets discussed a little bit in the interview, if all you're doing is going to, to class and learning how to, you know, choke somebody or do an arm bar and you, and you go home, you're missing out on a huge part of jujitsu. These people in the class, the people on the mats are, uh, amazing people and they have lives outside, uh, that, that are interesting and they, will care about you and they'll it's just it's it's crazy the way this uh, martial art the sport brings people together uh, and really creates long-term friendships so uh if you're feeling like yeah i'm just gonna go you know learn this that that, and that's fine to go through phases when you just want to you know i've definitely been through that i just want to learn how to triangle everybody in the class that's my main thing that's what i want to do and then i have times when it's like hey i'm i'm uh I'm needing to go, you know, get out from behind the computer and stop podcasting and go see my buddies and, and hang out with everybody and get some social time. And if, you know, I get choked or choked somebody, that's just fine too. You know, it's just kind of a side thing. So, uh, Jujitsu brings a lot of different things, a lot of people and definitely friendship is one that happens pretty naturally if you're open to it. So yeah, good quote definitely, there, Gary. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, normally I have trouble figuring out the quotes and, at first, I didn't really know where I was going to go with this quote, but I was like, man, this is what I'm passionate about, uh, the friendship aspect. Um, hey, speaking of the friendship aspect, it doesn't necessarily have to be your friend to put this person in the contest. But one thing we really want to do and, and get going, which will bring uh, exposure to your school and your coach, we want to have a coach of the year contest. Oh, yeah. And we met, 
We mentioned it last week, and so far we've got zero. <laughs> That's a big zero, a big circle of um, nominees. Basically, uh, you know, we just want anybody listening just to nominate your coach. Send us, a, you know, an email, um, you know, a little paragraph of, you know, what your coach has done for you. Um, you know, it could be, you know, because of the my coach, I, I've lost, you know, 50 pounds, and now my blood pressure is under control. It could be uh, – you know, anything, it's just yeah. whatever you're, you know, however somebody has, has helped you out, it, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have won a world championship. And, um, you know, it could just even be a friend. I mean, I, I remember, uh, at one school I was at, there was a kid who, I don't really know if he had a house or anything and, and, uh, he would come by and it wasn't the, or a place to live. I say a house, he's a young kid, but you know, I don't even know if he even got regular meals and, and, you know, he was allowed to train for free. And I remember driving him home to uh, like a uh, hotel, a really seedy hotel. And, you know, I don't know if he ever ate, you know, just stopping through a drive through a couple of times and getting him some food. And, you know, so it could be stuff like that, you know, trying to uh, get you back on your feet. So it doesn't have to necessarily be jujitsu accomplishments. And your coach doesn't have to be a world champion. And there's a heck of a lot more to jujitsu than uh you know, being a world champion or winning tournaments. Gary, I am a little tempted already to just to go through the process, write up a, a little essay about my friend Gary, great coach, great person, and explain, explain this. But I think we talked about this before the uh, the contest here. We're probably going to not have any coaches from the city we live in, which is Wichita, Kansas. It's just uh, uh, it would seem weird to nominate, to have a coach of the year from our city. So It'd we're looking like for – yeah. <laughs> So it just tell us what your coach means to you. If it's if somebody has gone a little above and beyond, and uh, and what we'll do is we'll collect these essays. Uh, so you have to do a little bit of work, you have to type something up, and uh, we'll have a little panel of people to vote on them. Gary and I aren't going to pick it. We might be in the panel. I don't know, but we'll have a little panel of people to read the essays, and, and we'll select one to be coach of the year. They get to put on their website, you know, voted coach of the year by the Beaches Break Podcast. That's a a mildly good advertisement, I would think. I mean, just to say that is is pretty neat. Uh, you know, we'll put up a little write up on them about them on their web on our website. Put a link to to their website for their school. So it's just a way to to kind of shine a light on your coach, show what they've done, and also maybe help locally with some uh, recruiting. You know, people are chickling in their different schools to look at training. They get to see this, and it might help them out. You know, getting a few more students here and there, which are more friends for you. Yep, and we'd like to do this every year. So. Think about this first year. You can be the inaugural. <laughs> your coach can be the inaugural winner. That would be kind of cool to say that, especially when this podcast really gets big and we have more than four listeners. So uh, that'd be kind of neat. Yeah, we, that would be pretty neat, Gary. Yep. That would be pretty neat. Uh, what else? Gary, we met a couple of friends in Oklahoma. Man, a couple of uh, listeners from Oklahoma came down to an open mat to train with us uh, from Stillwater, Oklahoma, uh, home of the Oklahoma State Cowboys. But uh, I'd like to say thank you very much to uh, Jared and Hank for coming down 
and not beat me up too bad. I appreciate you guys taking a little easy on me, but, uh, you know, they were two of the nicest guys I've ever met and, um, I hope to get a chance to train with them in the future. Yep. Sounds like they'll probably be back before too long. It's always great uh, to meet fans and we'll talk about that a little bit later in the episode, but I just want to acknowledge, uh, Jared and Hank for swinging by and, uh, getting some mat time with us. So thank you guys and making new friends. <laughs> More about friendship and, uh, in the Man, quote. This is like the friendship article. <laughs> so, hey, should we bring in a purple dinosaur to sing about friendship next? No, what we should do Money. is bring in a guy who was a purple belt, uh, an article written by him and now he's a brown belt and he's gonna, in this article, he explains, uh, what the belt really means to him, uh, being a purple belt, being a brown belt and, uh, how, what it was like to be a pro belt for him. It, it really is an amazing article. The website is musttriumph.com. The article is on the meaning of a belt written by Sam Yang. It, uh, he got his purple, his brown belt from Cobrina, which is amazing. That, that uh, <laughs> that just yeah, sounds like amazing. an awesome person to, to get a brown belt from. And, uh, first off, before we even, you know, talk, we're not going to be able to do this article justice. There's, there's a lot to it, but there's a video on this article. So, uh, look in your email box if you're on the email list and there'll be the show notes for you. And you can check that out or just go to the website and, and click the link there or you could find it through musttramp.com. Watch the video. It's about three minutes long. He gets his belt and he really tells a heart, uh, touching story of what it was like for him as a pro belt, Gary. Definitely. Um, you know, he went through a, a lot of hard times there as a purple belt. It was, uh, it was a tough time. And, um, you know, like he starts off, uh, it seems like everybody wants to get promoted. Um, but he was the opposite. He wanted to stay at purple belt. Yeah. I, I remember feeling the same thing as a purple belt. And then it's, it, it's a fun belt. It's a learning belt. Same thing with blue. From blue to purple. I remember getting my butt kicked by purple belts all the time. I don't want to be that. You know, I can't do that. And you get your purple belt. And then, you know, you have to have that. He talks about having that trust in your, your instructor. You know, hey, Sam, you're now a brown belt. Trust my judgment. You know, that's, that's a sign of respect. And he does that as well. But, uh, he, he says that the whole time, He's been a pro belt. He's had somebody sick. Somebody he loves has been sick. He lost his sister. He lost his father. His dog, it was a great emotional comfort, recently lost his dog. His mom is currently in the hospital and is uh, pretty sick. So he's going, uh, he, he talks about in the video, he goes uh, to work, to the hospital, to work, to the hospital, to work, to the hospital. And just comforting his mom, trying to be there for, and occasionally he'll, he'll go off to train. And I think... You know, in that situation, that is such a hard place to be. You know, you want to spend as much time with your loved ones as you can, but you know, you have to work. And then you also, uh, he's, I think he's really going to train sometimes, you know, like we're talking about to be with some friends, to get something different, to, to, to re-energize and just a huge meaning of why he's going. And he's trained all through all this heartache and all this trouble that I think would have put a lot of people Tang the gig up, you know, but uh, he, he's keep training and it's really taught him about resiliency and uh, him getting that brown belt. He's had that pro belt for so long, all this, all these interruptions to his training and all this stuff like that. Well, it doesn't bother him. He's, he's going to train when he can. He's going to train when he's able to and not stress about you know, this tournament. Okay. Who cares about a freaking tournament? You know, he, he this guy lost Definitely. some of the most important people in his life. It's, tournaments are stupid, you know. Like it doesn't matter. There's so many more things, and and, and this is crazy. The interview we talk about this. Like you think jujitsu is hard, you know, lose a loved one. That's way harder than 
than uh, jujitsu. And but in this article, build, doing jujitsu helps build that resiliency, helps you uh, grow as a person. So uh, we can't really do this article just as we could read it word or play the video. But we're not going to do those things. But we can talk about it a little bit. Gary, what have you noticed in this article? Well, you know, just like you know, he talks about the person you know makes the belt. You make the belt, and basically. You know, like you were talking back about resilience, you know, there's times he wanted to quit. He wasn't having fun before and he did quit for some time. And, you know, he had so much going on in his head. Like you said, it was work, hospital, work, hospital, you know, trying to find time to get to the gym. It, it's tough. But, you know, just, um, you know, the, the point that, you know, all the everything he had been through at that belt, you know, it's like. He, he didn't necessarily seem like maybe want to go, you know, go up to the belt because of so much that had happened, so many memories at that certain belt. I mean, so much had happened, you know, you know, a lot of uh, tragic stuff had happened. I know there's probably a lot of ver- good stuff that happened, too. But the tragedy, you know, some very, very tragic stuff happened, you know, at that purple belt. Yeah, I get I get I get that feeling as well, Gary. I do think that sometimes we get in those modes of I want to be the next belt, you know. Uh, I see that sometimes in students, and it's really just train, just train, yeah, just if, train. If you've got something else going on in your life, and you need to take a month off, a week off, or uh, some time off, that's okay. You know, the next belt isn't as important as a lot of things in life. Obviously, uh, get in and train when you can. That's that's important. Uh, it's important, I think, for your overall happiness and mood in a time uh, of this extreme stress. You know, like getting in there and. And remembering that there's, you know, your group of buddies are on the mats every week yeah, or every friends. Thursday night or whatever time that you're training. And uh, just getting that, that social connection, getting that sweat going. It's, I think you would get some relief if you just, you know, you're getting in a hard time. You go out and you run three or four miles and you come back exhausted. That's some of it. But you do that by yourself. So that's one huge benefit that Jiu-Jitsu has. And uh, it's just... It, it's hard for me to even talk about the rest of the article, uh, reading his opening about how much he has gone through as a pro belt, and now he's a brown belt, and the belt doesn't really matter to him. Of course it doesn't yeah. matter to him, because it, look at what else he's been through. That's the important stuff in life. It's just a color of belt, you know, and you do add meaning to your color of belt, and he's going to respect it and, 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 and behave like a brown belt, and he's writing articles like a, a black belt or a red belt. I don't know. It's, it, this is, uh, it, it's just hard for me to move on past that initial part uh, of how much he actually went through as a pro belt. That's just, uh, it's heartbreaking to, to kind of read that, that somebody in our community had to go through all those things. Yeah, it's hard to even, uh, like you said, try to even do justice to this article. Um you know, because it's not like I've been through this, you know, kind of like what he's went through. It's hard to, you know, there's so many emotions in this article that, like you said, we can't portray it. Um, but, you know, the the one thing that I thought was really great, he's talking about BJJ as an analogy for life. Um, you know, you never get anywhere by yourself. There are always people helping you. But I love this quote right here. And I kind of almost wish... We, we could probably use this for a quote of the week sometime, but, you know, half the blood and sweat on your belt doesn't belong to you. It belongs to others. And, you know, you think about it, like, 
it, it really is. It's a it's a team sport. The friendships you you get through there, you know, um, half that blood is probably not mine. It's it's people getting me from point A to point B. You know, they're teaching me stuff, and and you know, even when I'm down, going through these tragedies, tra- tragedies, these people are helping me, you know, heal, helping me get better. You know, jujitsu is helping me that. The people in my classes, you know, in my academy is helping me, and you know, they're they're getting you from one point to another they're helping you along the way yeah that uh that's a that is a great quote gary half the blood and sweat on your belt doesn't belong to you it belongs to others you know they says set high goals but also embrace gratitude you if you were stuck just imagine you know as as crazy it would be to try to learn jujitsu by yourself you can't do it. Yeah. It would be terrible. Yeah, you would have you would have some uh, you know thoughts of the techniques or whatever. You wouldn't be able to do any jiu-jitsu to anybody. I mean, yeah, but just, the good thing is I could promote myself really quick <laughs> under your own system. But yes. just the, the idea that you could train by yourself. No, you can't train with without a person. And so just remember that gratitude towards your teammates, your coach, the people on the mat with you, your opponents when you're you know competing. Gratitude to all those people because uh, they're really helping you uh, get better at jujitsu. Yep, that was a great article, and uh, you know, definitely check it out. Watch the video too. But thank you to Sam. Uh, congratulations there also on your brown belt. But uh, just one awesome article. Yep, one awesome article by a great person in our community. Happy to share it on the podcast and uh, check out the website. All right, Gary, I think we're ready to roll our interview with Andy Pye. Uh, just a quick reminder, uh, not safe for a uh, work environment or maybe for, uh, you know, if you got the kids in the car, uh, you might uh, wait a little while to listen to the rest of this uh, episode. But other than that, amazing interview, and I really enjoyed talking with Andy Pye. So here we go. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. His daily Heva guard was so strong that his opponent's mom fell over. He has never gotten mat burn, but sometimes you can find burn marks on the mat. Neil Armstrong watched him roll and said it was the most amazing experience of his life. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring Andy Pye to the BJJ Break Podcast. Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Byron. Andy is uh, coming to us all the way from China. Uh, the miracle of Skype, you sound like you're in the room next door. <laughs> I've definitely had international calls that didn't sound this good, but I'm happy that the sound is good. How are you doing? Uh, what's going on over there today, Andy? Um, everything's cool. It's like 10.40 p.m. I just put my kids to sleep, and uh, now I'm on the line with you guys. And uh, just want to say a quick hello to your audience, and uh, thanks for tuning in. All right. Well, it is the morning where I'm at, and uh, and it's it's all good that we we're able to find this time to get together. Andy, um, you're kind of a, a pioneer, I would say, in uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in China. Can you tell us a little bit about your backstory and kind of who you are and, and, and where you're at? Okay. So um, in uh, in 1994, uh, I was going to school. In uh, California, I was going to University of California at Riverside in Southern California, 
And uh, normally when I, you know, I always go home for vacation, right? Christmas vacation, summer vacation, whatever. So um, <clears throat> in 94, um, I was I was going home on vacation and uh, this was like early in January of 94 or maybe it was 93. I can't remember. Anyways, so I get a phone call from my brother and he says, man, dude, Andy, you got to check this out, dude. I have I saw this thing on television. I have a I have a, a recording of it. And uh, it's dudes fighting. They're not even using gloves, and they're really fighting. It's not like, it's not like the WWF. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or the WWE, right? I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, because you know, it's like, no, dude, it's like Bloodsport. Have you seen that movie Bloodsport with John Claude Van Damme? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, dude, it's like that, man. It's like all the different styles, you know. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, so that sounds interesting. But they're really fighting. I mean, like that. You know, that only happens in movies, right? It's like, no, 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 they're really fighting, dude. And there's this little skinny Brazilian guy, and he, like, wraps you up with his legs, and uh, he, he does it on the ground, you know? I'm like, okay, so I don't know what that looks like, right? But it sounds interesting. So it's like, yeah, and, you know, stop by my place on the way home. So, you know, on my way drive, uh, on my drive back up to uh, Northern California, I stopped at my brother's, and uh, so we spent, like, a day watching these videotapes that he had recorded from television. <clears throat> and I saw Hoist fight, you know, Mario Sperry, Half Gracie, you know, remember Extreme, what is it, like ex- Extreme Fighting, I think it was called? Have you ever seen that? I don't, I'm not familiar with that one. Okay, so, Just like, the... you, you know Half Gracie, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, when he first came to the States, when he was fighting, he would fight in an event called, I think it was, like, Extreme Fighting. And that, like, Mario Sperry fought there. A lot of Carlson Gracie guys fought in that promotion. And uh, so I saw Hoyce, I saw Half, I saw Mario Sperry, and uh, it completely blew my mind, you know? And, uh, but obviously what stood out the most was this, you know, super skinny Brazilian guy. And um, he was just, like, you know... He was choking dudes out. He was putting them in arm bars. I didn't know what an arm bar was at the time. I didn't know what a triangle was. So my first fight I saw was Hoist versus Dan Severn on, on, on videotape. Yeah. Is that the triangle choke one? Yeah. Yep. And it come like I remember um I remember sitting on the edge of my chair the entire time. I was literally on the edge of the chair. Right? And my palms were sweating. And like my heart was beating really, really fast because like just watching it gave me like adrenaline. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because dudes were really fighting. And uh, and yeah, it made such an impression on me. I, I it, it blew my mind. So um, I remember looking in the credits, um, not not the credits, but the subtitles when the fighters were coming out. Right. It said that um, it said that this guy Hoist Gracie was fighting out of Torrance, California, and Torrance, California is not that far away from from Riverside. You know, probably like an hour and forty five minutes drive. So um, when I when I got back to school, I, I picked up the phone and I you know called information and I said, Hey, do you guys have you know Gracie Jiu Jitsu or you know click 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 click? Okay, here you go, Gracie Jiu Jitsu Academy. Give me the number, and I was there the next weekend, and I've been training ever since. <clears throat> That was like in 94, 94. Wow. That's, uh, it, I, I remember that Dan Severn, uh, fight and it was like, you know, they called him Dan the Beast Severn and he, he was destroying everybody. And, and then Hoist is like, I'm going back and this is happening. And, and yeah. uh, nobody really knew what a triangle choke was either. And it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. So. And uh, it completely blew my mind. And what's even more crazy was that he was doing, 
Like, he was doing the same thing to every single opponent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, when you saw him fight, you could tell that he had a definite strategy. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, he wasn't just going in there and doing anything. You know? He definitely had a strategy. And he definitely had, you know, he, he definitely, whatever he was doing, it was like martial art. You know? And the thing is that you saw all these other guys wearing, like, white geese with black belts. Right. Yep. But he was the only guy that was really representing that white gi and that black belt. You, you, you understand what I mean? Yeah, I think like, so. He was the only dude that knew how to fight. <laughs> you know, <laughs> all those other guys wearing like, you know, white gis and black belts. They, you know, I don't know what they were doing, but they didn't know how to fight. Right. At least not how to fight him. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't just that he knew how to fight. I mean, that dude. He knew how to defend himself. Yes. You know what I mean? And that's what struck out the most, what struck me the most was that, like, not only did he, he didn't get hurt. That's, it blew my mind. Yeah, that's remarkable. It made a serious, serious impression on me. And, uh, and that's how I got into jujitsu. I was, I was at the Gracie Jujitsu Academy the following weekend. I walked in and Hoist is like, they're like standing in front of me. It completely blew my mind. Wow, that's great. Uh, so, tell me about the transition uh, to moving to China and teaching there. Um, so, in uh, 97, yeah, um, I had a chance to come. My parents, by that point, had already been living in uh, in China, okay? And <clears throat> we, uh, I okay, they said, hey, Andy, why don't you come back to China, you know, take a look. And see if there's any cool opportunities, you know, in China. And uh, but and, you know, I graduated in, from from college in '95, so um, I really didn't. Um, I wanted to be a rock star back then. You know, I was playing in full time in a band and stuff. And um, you know, that wasn't really working out. You know, we weren't famous yet. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, I was like, okay, yeah, you know, I'll check it out. You know, not. I mean, just thinking like, whatever. You know, I'm just because I, you know, I wanted to make my parents happy and you know. And plus, I wanted to see China. I'd never been to China, and um, so I came check it out. It was really cool, but I, you know, I still wanted to be a rock star. So I, I was only here for like you know one month, and then I came back to the United States, and then, uh, but then you know another six months went by, and my parents kept calling me, and they were like, "Man, Andy, you know, lots of new things happening here. You know, a guy like you who can speak Chinese and can speak English, you know, you can have. There's a lot of good opportunities, and you can really try to make it, you know, make it big and." And do something, you know, that you really want to do out here. And so I, I kind of like fell for the trap, you know what I mean? And I came back at like close towards, I mean, uh, was it like a, like September of 97? I came back to Beijing for good. And I've been here ever since. <laughs> well, so you kind of started training uh, Rose Andrews or Gracie Jiu-Jitsu in 1994. And by 97, yep. uh, you moved to China. Yep. And what was the conditions like for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu there? Well, well, the first thing I thought was, well, um, you know, China being like the massive martial arts country that it yeah. is, that, you know, for sure people would know about Jiu-Jitsu and for sure there would be people there training Jiu-Jitsu, right? But then when I got here, you know, like nobody knew about Jiu-Jitsu and nobody was training Jiu-Jitsu. So that, that was like a pretty big shock for me, you know, like, how can, how can, how can you guys not know about jujitsu, you know? 
And, uh, you know, I had all my Gracie jujitsu in action videos with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I brought all my tapes and stuff. And, um, I was trying to find people who knew about this stuff. And, uh, and yeah, you know, I couldn't find anybody. <laughs> so how did you find your first, uh, training partners or students? Well, just, uh, my colleagues from work, basically. Okay. Right. I came here, I got an internship, um, and uh, at a, at an IT company at the time, and uh, just like and you know just like friends that you're hanging out with your coworkers, right? People that you meet when you when you go out hanging out, and because <clears throat> when you go to a place and you don't know anybody, you try to you try to build up your little social network so you have stuff to do. You know, I was young back then; I was like 24, so you know, going out a lot, you know, meeting new friends, meeting new people. And <clears throat> always going to the different gyms, trying to find martial arts places, meeting people at these different you know places, and and, uh, and just gradually becoming friends with people, and then uh, and say, hey, you know, I I want to continue training. Have you heard about jujitsu before? Do you know what it's, what it is? You know, and at that time, I found like you know some of the Americans who were living in uh, living in Beijing, like they knew about the UFC, they knew about jujitsu, but. Um, not a lot of Europeans, not a lot of, and not you know, virtually no Chinese um, knew anything about about jujitsu or the Gracie family. And so, you know, in order for me to continue my training, I had to I had to teach these guys, you know, jujitsu. And if you want, if you want, if if you yourself want to be good, then your your training partner's got to be good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So it wasn't like I was just using them as dummies and just thrashing them, you know what I mean? Like if you did that, then they wouldn't even want to train with you anymore. You know what I mean? So you'd have to like, you know, give them, you'd have to give them like, first of all, you have to give them real skill. You got to give them real knowledge, right? And you got to make sure they can turn that knowledge into a skill. And at the second time, you can't be like trashing them all the time, you know? Cause you know, like a guy who's been training, I mean, literally, a guy who's been training six months of jujitsu against a guy who absolutely knows no jujitsu, you completely thrash them. It's not even funny, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, by then, I had been training like almost three years, right? So all the guys that I was training with were – they had no skill at all, right? So it's it's easy to trash those guys. But the thing is, if you trash your training partner, you, you don't want to be your training partner for very long. <laughs> yeah, you know? they need right? some of that uh, positive uh, feedback and not yeah. just all the negative. So, yeah, so in order to like kind of um, maintain my own training and have steady training partners, I had to do whatever I could to keep them interested and to make sure that um, they were having a good time and that they were learning and that they wanted to continue training. You know, out of Pure selfish reasons, right? My own selfish reasons because I myself wanted to keep training. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's kind of how how my career as a teacher began, you know? Yeah. By teaching teaching my friends and just because I loved jiu-jitsu so much and I wanted to continue training. So uh, that's what I did. So that was that was like 19-ish years ago. Uh, yeah, so more take, or less. Take me a little bit through maybe a quick history of those, those past 19 years and, and where we're at now. In 97 and 98, I basically started um, the first jiu-jitsu training center, the first jiu-jitsu academy, I guess you could say, in China. And, um, at, you know, at, in the beginning, it was only my friends. And, um, and it, you know, it was just like, you know, a little bit of mat space shared from a gym, you know, down, down, downtown. And, uh, and eventually, like, word 
kind of spread spread around the uh, jujitsu community, uh, not the jujitsu, the martial arts community of Beijing. Yeah. Right? Because uh, you know news like <clears throat> news from overseas travels pretty fast to China, right? So you know if you have anything breaking in the IT sector, like Chinese IT industry, you know, and the Chinese IT media will cover that. Right, or if you have something happening in the sports industry, then the Chinese sports industry will also cover that. And uh, the Chinese martial arts industry, you know, when the UFC broke, you know, it was it wasn't you know much later. Um, like Chinese martial arts industry started to pay attention and uh, started to you know write articles and <clears throat> talk about jujitsu and how this one dude, you know, the skinny Brazilian guy was like you know doing all this and and. Uh, yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't you know it wasn't long before the basically everybody in in Beijing knew about jujitsu, right? I would you know it was only like two or three years, you know. <clears throat> but the whole thing, like the whole thing that the Gracie family had to go through, you know, when they first got to the states, all oh, you'll never take me to the ground, and you know, one punch I'll just knock you out, and this kind of, like the the same sort of like like. Uh, Things that were discussed in the United States and Black Belt Magazine and in Karate Magazine, Illustrated, and th- like they were all discussing the same thing here in China. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Yep. But so in order to do that, I went through uh, some friends who had a uh, website, <clears throat> and they were organizing like a um, like challenge fights. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Between all the between all the different fights, I mean between all the uh, all the different clubs and all the different styles. Right. And um, so so me and uh, a couple of my students. Right. We decided to go to go to the challenge fight, you know, to represent jujitsu. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And this was in this was. Let me think. This was in 2003. Okay, In 2003. And uh, so we went and um, I fought uh, I fought this. uh, He was a kickboxer. Right. And uh, I've, I've I've had one MMA fight. Okay, I'm like I've got a perfect score. <laughs> I'm one and zero. Oh. <laughs> but um, so so I ended up fighting this kickboxer, and um, he kicked me so hard in the arm. He, this dude broke my arm, you know. And uh, but the thing is, is that you know with jujitsu, if if you can stay calm and you know how to how to like. You know, keep the position and things like this, right? You still have a chance, you know. So what ended up happening is, even though that he broke my arm, I still managed to get to the clinch. I took him down, and uh, <clears throat> no, I think what happened was I can't remember. Oh, I think I pulled guard, right? And from the guard, he tried to back away. I sat up um, with kind of like a I forgot what kind of sweep I used. Anyways, I got on top. I took him down, and. Uh, I ended up mounting him, and uh, and he he tried to push me, right? He put put his hands on my chest, yeah, and he went to go push me, and uh, he extended his arm straight, and I caught him in. I put him in an armbar, and he tapped. And uh, this fight was the first MMA fight ever broadcasted on Chinese television. Wow! Yeah, it was really cool. That was back in two thousand three. Andy, take me back a little bit more. Uh, what 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 part of your arm, what bone in your arm did he break? And then um, did you know that it broke, broke at the time? He broke my left forearm. Okay. He broke my left forearm. Yeah. Did you feel and, it or uh, hear it snap? 
yeah, I heard it. It it like hurt like crazy. You know what I mean? And um, and when I you know I didn't I didn't know if it was broken. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. But it, but it was like you know wow this, this it really hurt. You know what I mean? Because I'd never had a broken arm before. I don't know what it feels like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. <clears throat> but and and plus it's like. It's different when someone puts you into a submission and you can feel your ligaments like tearing. That's completely different than having someone kick you and having something break instantly. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I think like, so. It, in, in, in many cases, that I think is almost easier to accept than being put into an arm bar and have your ligaments slowly being, being, being ripped out. You understand what I'm saying? I think that's, like, I think that's far more excruciating than having someone break your bone just like boom, instantly like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, but I, what I do remember is I, on the ground when I was hitting him, cause it was my left forearm, like the outside bone on my, cause like imagine someone throws a roundhouse kick at your head, right? Yeah. And then you, you, you take your lead arm up to block it. You know, imagine like, I don't know if you ever did Taekwondo as a kid, but you know how they do like their, they, you know, they do like the stance where they use their arm to like block whatever's yeah. coming at you. Right. So <laughs> I don't know any stand up, you know what I mean? But I reached my hand out to block and. Bam! You know this guy. He was he was like a basically a professional you know senda kickboxer, right? And you know, bam! He broke my arm. And uh, I remember when I was I didn't know it was broken then. Okay, but on the ground when I was punching him, I was punching him with my left arm, and every time I punched him, I could feel my bones moving because oh. it wasn't it was it wasn't like because it was broken. You know yeah, what I mean? it it wasn't like you know it it wasn't. A, place anymore i was like oh my god i hit him like one two times it didn't feel right and i stopped hitting him i was like man i can't do that something is seriously wrong you know and by that time i had already mounted him and he, you know he pushed and boom instantly into an arm bar wow so yeah it worked out good yeah <laughs> good that he kicked my arm and not not kick me in the head yeah you know? <laughs> so so um yeah i think uh and of course you know, if it wasn't for my jujitsu training, um, of course I would have tapped right away, and um, and obviously I wouldn't have even fought the guy. You know, this is the thing. I think a lot of and this kind of okay. This I'm trying to like keep it on subject, but I'm kind of veering off a little bit. I think back then, um, the old school jujitsu guys. I consider myself an old school jujitsu guy because you know I didn't get into jujitsu because I saw an IBJJF tournament. You understand? I saw jiu-jitsu and got into jiu-jitsu because I saw Hoist Gracie fight in the UFC. So I think all guys who did jiu-jitsu back then, they all had this like um, – they all have this kind of like this, – this feeling that they have is that, man, I would love to test myself to see if what I, what, of what I learned really works. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right? Because I, st- I started training at the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Academy where they had challenge fights all the time. Guys would come in all the time to to, to fight. And there were guys that you know all the instructors at the academy all had a chance to to show that Jiu-Jitsu really worked. You know what I mean? And you know me being a Jiu-Jitsu guy and training there, I always wanted the chance to say, oh, wow, man, I'd love to test myself to see if it worked. And I, you know, finally I got a chance and – you know, I don't need to test myself anymore, man. I promised my parents I'd never do that again. But um, yeah, it was it was probably the coolest thing I ever did in my life, and it was the scariest and it was the most exhilarating thing at the same time. You know, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It uh, yeah. it sounds like it, Andy. Yeah. We've made some comparisons a little bit about um, 
early jiu-jitsu in the United States, and really, mm-hmm. you've gone through the early jiu-jitsu in China. Is, yeah. I mean, are, are people ever coming in wanting to challenge themselves against a jiu-jitsu person in your academy, or is that really not happening? No, we've had people do that. <clears throat> we've had people come into the academy and say, oh, jiu-jitsu is no good. I'll do this and do that. And, uh, you know, okay, well, let's, let's you know, let's you know, let's roll and let's fight. You know, most of the guys, they don't want to fight anymore. You know what I mean? Because they've seen enough of the UFCs, right? But they say, oh, you know, I know some kind of like um, pressure point technique or I know some kind of, you know, special sort of thing, right? Um, that, you know, that can negate, you know, the, the jujitsu. And it, it's just not happening. You know what I mean? I believe jujitsu is for sure the most efficient and uh, the best martial art ever ever invented you know known to man i'm a diehard jiu-jitsu guy to the yeah. to the very end nothing is better than jiu-jitsu i i agree <laughs> if not just yeah. for how fun it is that uh, when i get on the mat but yeah it's a very effective yeah uh, Jiu- yeah jiu-jitsu is the only way to fight when you have no way left to fight you know what i'm saying yeah right if, if you're if you're big and strong and you can you can knock fools out with your fists awesome you know but if you're not sorry bro <laughs> you ain't got nothing but jiu-jitsu you know what i mean and it's like if you're a big guy and you also know jujitsu, it's 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 not even fair. So, Andy, you mentioned a little bit about the culture and 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 people having uh, like a good uh, martial arts background or culture in yep. in China. Yep. How, do yep. most students coming to you already have a background in martial arts, or are they brand new and they, they just want nope. to learn? No, nope. most of the guys that I'm that uh, that I was teaching, they were all like you know regular guys, white collar guys. You know, not very athletic and, um, you know, what and none of them ever wanted to be fighters. You know what I'm saying? But they all they all thought that, wow, like like me, myself, my reason for training jujitsu wasn't because I wanted to be a fighter, you know, but because I thought, oh, my God, this this thing, you know, I mean, you watch Hoist fight in the UFCs and you know that what he's doing is a real skill. That's not something that just he, he it wasn't luck. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. You could tell that what he was doing was there was a system behind it, right? And if there's a system behind something, then it's much easier to accept. It's much easier to learn. You know what I'm saying, right? Like you see, you, you saw a bunch of strikers go up there, and some guys get knocked out, some guys don't get knocked out. Some, and even the guys who did knock out other people, sometimes they got knocked out. So it's like you don't really, you can't really accept their system. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. But Hoist was doing the same thing every single fight. You know. Maintain the distance, close the distance, clinch, take down to the ground, get a position, and boom, submit. You know what I mean? He did that every single time, yeah. right? So, so you know right away that there was a system behind that. It's not bullshit. Yeah, he was able to to like funnel them into a place and then get a yeah. victory every time. Right, but the most amazing thing is is that is that that system can then be like transmitted to another person and that other person can follow that same system and be just as successful you understand what i'm saying yes that's the most amazing thing about jujitsu that i thought that i saw at the time uh, so uh it, it's been fun talking to you about like the kind of uh, your history and some of that i, I do want to know about the current state and maybe a little bit of a history of the development of uh, uh jujitsu in china Okay. Um, so, all right. So, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit critical here. Um, okay. I think that most of the, I think that, I mean, because now there's a lot of jujitsu academies here in China, and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, um, 
I would say, charlatans, man. Just like in the United States, you know, when when jiu-jitsu started to get big, you had a lot of Brazilians coming over from Brazil um, to teach in the United States. And now you have a lot of Brazilians coming to teach uh, jiu-jitsu in China. And, you know, I would say that a lot of these guys, you know, they're, they're horrible teachers, you know, horrible, horrible teachers. Because I'm looking at at the students that are being trained and I'm looking at their level of jujitsu and, and like their level of jujitsu is horrible. I'm not saying that all the instructors are horrible. I'm saying some of the instructors are horrible. I know there's a lot, there's also a lot of good Brazilian teachers here also, but there's just as many bad Brazilian teachers as there are good Brazilian teachers. You know what I'm saying? And it's like they, one of the most, okay. If you look at the early UFCs, one of the most like, um, one of I, and I mentioned this earlier. One of the things that stood out the most to me was that Hoist never got hurt. That's he knew how to impressive. defend himself. Yeah, you know? he knew how to defend himself. He wasn't just it wasn't just about winning a fight. Nowadays, because of the rules of MMA, like guys are going in there to win fights. You know what I'm saying, right? And if if they get stuck in a bad position or whatever, it's like they don't know to even defend themselves in that position. They just know that they have to escape the mount. You know what I mean? And they know the standard escapes, you know, trap and roll the, you know, trap the arm, trap the foot or, you know, shrimp and hip escape or what. But they have no sense of timing on when that should occur. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, so what they do is they start they start either trying to do the trap and roll or they start to hip escape, you know, the instant they get mounted. Right. And why? Because they're taking they're taking shots to the face. You know what I'm saying? And and when you get mounted and start taking shots of the face, I mean, it becomes horrifying. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right? And when you're horrified in that position, you'll do anything to escape, including put your arm in the wrong position or put your, you know, put your neck in the wrong position, right? And this is when this is when, you know, your opponent on top can take advantage of you, right? Cuz he's not even trying to hurt you, he's just trying to you know, slap you a few times to get you to shift into a position where he can take your arm or take your shoulder or take your neck, you know? So the, what what I see in China is like the students in China, they're not – especially the professional MMA fighters. They're only learning the sport version of jiu-jitsu, even for MMA. You know what I'm saying, right? They're they're learning an MMA version of, of jiu-jitsu but for sport. They're okay. not even learning any self-defense. You know what I'm saying, right? They don't even like. I'm sure there's like like hard hardcore jujitsu guys where I'm sure if if you mounted Hicks and Gracie, okay, you would not be able to hurt him. I'm positive of that. Yeah. You know, if you mounted him, he won't even have to escape from you. You know what I'm saying? He could just sit there and hold you in a way where you couldn't do anything. You understand what I mean? Yeah. Right. And and the more you try to hit him. The more like space you give him to escape, and and that's when he would escape. He wouldn't just try to escape the second you mounted him. You know what I mean, right? Th- that only I mean that works if you're in the same you know weight class, right? But yeah. if the guy's much bigger than you, then you know what if you can't escape right away? Then what? Do you still have to be able to protect yourself in that position? You know what? You, yeah. Does that make sense? You need Byron? to be safe throughout the fight. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So let's say let's say Andre Galvon mounts you, right? You're not. I don't. I don't know what your skill level. It's not anywhere near that. (laughs) But you're you're not going to fucking escape the mount from fucking Andre Galvon. 
<laughs> you're not. It's just yeah. not going to happen. You know what I mean? So then what? You just let them, you know, bust your face up? You know? No way, bro. You got to, you know, I, I don't think any of the athletes, any of the athletes in, in, in the professional MMA athletes in China are, are learning that right now. You understand? Yeah, and that's the. Does that make sense? Yeah, is that the, the kind of the difference between the sport versus self defense, or is that just a, a variation of the sport? Um, that well, I mean, yeah, there. I mean, all of them are trying to escape that position, so so the other guy doesn't get points for being there. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, right? Right? They're worried about oh, if he mounts me the entire time, uh, you know, dude, if you just hold him in the right way, he won't be able to hurt you. He won't be able to do anything to you. Right, and then the more he tries to hit you, the more space he needs, and the more he's going to try to create, and that's when you can escape, right? Yeah. Or that's when you can roll him. You know what I mean? Is when he he is so frustrated from trying to hit you that he makes his mistake. You know. But the thing is, is that the guys are afraid that oh, he's been sitting on me the whole entire time. They're going to give the round to him, right? Oh well, so what? You know, you're going to finish him. You know, but it's different now because it's it's more of a it's a sport, right? You have three five minute rounds, and that's it. You know, so if yeah. you can't do anything in that through those fifteen minutes, right now is about athleticism. I mean, that, that's my opinion. Anyways. Yeah, that's, right? the that's, old, the hardcore old school UFCs. That's 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 real fighting, man. You know, I understand. I understand why it needs to be different. Why it you know in order to get a a, a, a bigger audience and things like this. But man, I I, I really miss the old school way. You know, because <clears throat> that's. That's real self-defense, right? Now you can instead of instead of really learning how to escape, you just rely on the referee to separate yep. you. Yeah, it, right. You yeah. need to learn all those. You don't need to learn all those ways. You just you know you know do something to make the ref to stall the fight and make the referee separate you, right? Right. Yeah. Back then you were doing it because you know that was a way to survive, <laughs> right? And and if the fight kept on going. Right, you would still need to figure out a way to get out of that position or to get out of that, you know, whatever difficulty that that you have right there. Right? Yeah. Anyways, that's <clears throat> that's my thing, and I think like nowadays, you know, a lot of people are are, um, you know, they're they only train jujitsu because of you know IBJJF. People want to do barambolos and things like this, and they think that's great, you know, and I think that's cool too, but. To me, that's not jujitsu, man. Jujitsu, you know, IBJJF jujitsu is just a set of rules. That's all it is, just a set of rules. You know, guys can train sambo and still go into the IBJJF tournament and still win tournaments. It doesn't mean that they have good jujitsu, right? It just means that they won a certain tournament under these types of rules, right? So you don't have to even be a jujitsu guy to enter an IBJJF tournament and you know, and and win. You could be, you know, let's say you're the the top sambo player in the world and you just and, and you're a hell of an athlete, right? And you just go in and you just footlock everybody, right? Does it mean you're a good jujitsu guy? No, it doesn't mean you're a good jujitsu guy. It just means that you're good at those rules, right? But those rules aren't jujitsu. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It uh you're you're wanting to encompass more of a practical self defense aspect into it than just the pure yeah. look at the rules yeah. uh, use the rules to to win a, a match. Yes, exactly, exactly. And there's, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with using rules to win a match. You know what I mean? Because I, I love sport jujitsu. It's fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's really awesome. You know. But I'm saying that a lot of the people who are doing jujitsu these days, they're getting into jujitsu not because of they they saw 
you know, the UFC. And even if they did see the UFC, they're watching the UFC from a three, five minute round with weight classes UFC, right? Which is different than no weight classes, no time limits, no rules. That's a complete different style of jujitsu, right? Yeah. So it's like, what would you be better? What, what do you want to be better at? Do you want to be better at that situation or do you want to be the best at this situation where they give you all sorts of rules and you just play the rules to win? Right. Yeah. Culturally wise, is there a, a big audience for uh, activities like MMA or, or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that, that want to come and watch these? Or I remember ADCC was there. Um, kind yeah, of, ADCC you know, was here. ADCC was awesome um, here in 2013 um, because the venue that they used was literally like five minutes away from my academy. <laughs> and, and one day I remember I walked into to the academy and it was like – there was like, you know, 10, 15 world champions on wow. the map. You know, Gracie Baja was training out of there. Atos was training out of there. Alliance was training out of there. Um, you know, I, I mean, it's crazy. You walk in and it's like Andre Galvon and JT Torres and Keenan and, uh, you know, the, the Mendes brothers and all of them on the mat at the same time. <laughs> right. And then like two hours later, there's like Braulio and Otavio Souza and Hamilo Bahal and, uh, you know, all, all, you know, all, all the Gracie Baja guys. And then, you know, boom, Fabio Grigel is there and Gabby is there and all the, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy. Cyborg was there. Hickson and Crone were there. Um, Tanquino was there. And, uh, man, it was like, it's like a kid walking into a candy store is really awesome. Did did that have did having ADCC hold the, the event there have any lasting effect on uh, jujitsu in Beijing? Um, honestly, I don't think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, just because um, I think if if jujitsu in China um, is going to develop, then it's really going to depend on Chinese people and no outside influence no outside factor you know of course it's great to have you know you know the top guys from around the world to come and and to teach and to and to really like you know help but the thing is is that none of those guys are going to invest long term into this market you understand what i'm saying yeah so it's like they come they teach they get the money they split great you know great for you know whatever academy brought them out and great for you know whatever instructor that came out but at the end of the day it's Chinese jiu-jitsu, in order for it to get big, it's going to depend on Chinese people. Yeah. How is the condition of uh, wrestling or judo in China? Um, it's like this. Um, so only within the last – like oh, only since within 2008, right, after the Beijing Olympics, has there really been a development in the, um, in the sports industry, in the commercial sports industry, in the privatized sports industry. Okay. So um, before, you know, if you trained judo, it was because you were a government-sponsored athlete. You basically worked for the government, okay? And your job was to fight in the national championships. Your job was to, you know, win the national championships to get a spot to fight in the world championships and to get, a, you know, a seed in the world championship to get like a number, like a placement, a ranking so that you can fight in the Olympics. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, that was the only reason why people did judo. Nobody did judo for fun. Is that right? changing? Same goes for wrestling. Um, yeah, I think it's changing. You know, um, I think more more people now do judo for fun than they do wrestling for fun. 
um, yeah, I don't really see any like wrestling schools, you know what I mean? Or like wrestling, like in the United States, you know, like I think you can be as young as four or five years old and you can start wrestling at that age. Yeah. Right. For fun. Right. Yeah. Like kids put their, I mean, parents put their kids into, into like a wrestling club, you know, not because they really want their kid to do tournaments, you know, not unless their father was a, was like, uh, you know, like a wrestler back in school, right? But a lot of parents will put their kids in wrestling just just for the sheer physical exercise, right? Yeah. You know, I remember when I was growing up, I, I knew guys who were wrestling, right? <clears throat> they were all, always on, you know, some guys on the school team, right? And then even after school, they would like still have like, they would go to wrestling clubs, right? Where they would, you know, right? A lot of people are doing it for competition as well. But... Uh, Nobody, yeah, here nobody, you know, really does it for fun. I don't think, right? People do judo for fun. People, I think, jujitsu. More people do jujitsu for fun than they do, um, like wrestling or or, or judo. Okay. Uh, you, know? you mentioned kids. How, how yeah, is the, the kids in jujitsu? Yeah, yeah, jujitsu in China is the first like sport that um, was created entirely by the people. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Because we haven't spent one dollar from the government, you know. All these people do jujitsu because they want to do jujitsu, not because they're being forced to do jujitsu, and not because they're doing jujitsu because they get a chance to compete in the Olympics or anything like that. You know what I'm saying? So all of the jujitsu that's happening in China is happening because simply because it's it's become commercial. You understand what I mean? Yeah. Okay, which is cool. Which is really cool. Yeah. There's a demand for it. There's exactly. There's a demand for it. People want to do it. People, you know, people want to do jujitsu because they recognize, you know, basically all of like the health benefits and you know all of like you know, the character benefits, you know, and especially for the kids. We've got a kids program at our at our academy, and you know, a, you know, parents bring their kids in because you know they want their kids to be more confident, they want their kids to be more disciplined, uh, they want their kids to possess real self defense skills in case you know they run into a bully or whatever at school, and. Um, and jiu-jitsu can do all of that for for and I think in fact jiu-jitsu I think is the only martial art that can do all of that you know you can put a kid in boxing but it's like that you know if that that kid that does boxing has got to hurt another kid in order to defend himself yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah <laughs> right right and and if he goes up against another kid that knows jiu-jitsu he's dead <laughs> you know he's dead right Jiu-jitsu, again, I, nothing beats jiu-jitsu. So all, if, if there's any parents out there listening, and you should put your kids into jiu-jitsu. Yeah, and like you said, they don't have to take damage or, or give damage to do They don't have to, to take do damage. This. They don't have to inflict damage, right? Because nowadays, you know, stuff with a law, I mean, I don't know. Byron, are you a parent? No. No? Okay, so when you, one day when you do become a parent, right, if you become a parent, you know, like you don't ever want to get a phone call from the school saying that your kid you know, beat the crap out of somebody. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, that's not cool, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's not cool, you know? And uh, and jujitsu, I mean, really, jujitsu really teaches you to to measure yourself, you know what I mean? Like, like you know, you could be the best and still know that in a real fight, man, you could get stabbed. Right, you could destroy all the guys in 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 the academy, you know, and still understand that on the street you could get stabbed. Don't matter how good your jujitsu is, you know, you could still get stabbed. 
right? So yeah. there's a lot of things. Jiu-Jitsu really helps. It's the best. It helps you see things clearly, I think. Yeah, it, it helps you uh, stay in that reality. And, and like you're saying – yes. Yeah. Oh, that's a good way to put it. It, it keeps you keeps you grounded. Is that? Do you think that that part of that is the reason why it's hard for somebody to go from uh, a black belt in another martial art to come learn jujitsu because they have that uh, sense that they've already uh, know how to defend themselves. They already know everything, and then coming into uh, jujitsu school for the first time, you really are brand new at something, and that's that's hard for adults to to get over. Um. I think any any adult who takes a a clear look at themselves, you know, and especially if they're a martial artist, I, I mean, especially if they're doing martial arts for the right reasons, I don't think it's like, I don't think it's that much difficulty to to transition. Okay, you know, I did all kinds of martial arts as a kid. You know what I mean? And it wasn't well. I guess I wasn't like tied to any one martial art, and I never got my black belt in any one martial art. But it was like. Um, Jiu-jitsu has been the only martial art that I've stuck with for this long. I mean, I've been since, what, 90, 90s, what is it, 94? 94 I started training, right? So, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a long time, you know? <laughs> in fact, in fact, Byron, jiu-jitsu is the only activity I've ever done that I've stuck with for this long time. There's nothing else that I've ever done that I've stuck with for this long time. Right. Say saying that, and then I also want to get some advice for students. Um, mm-hmm. You've seen a lot of we, we all see students come and go, um, and you've yeah. d- done jiu-jitsu for so long. Um, yeah. c- do you ever see like a, a trait, a personality trait, or something like that that you see in a student when they're fairly new, and you think that they're going to stick with it for a long time, and they're going to be able to to get good at this and enjoy it? Well, this is the thing. I think a lot of it depends on the instructor. You know what I mean? Okay. Right? And it's. I think it's the instructor's fault if the student doesn't stick with it. You know what I mean? Well, okay, I shouldn't say it's the instructor's fault, but it's like as an instructor, okay, this is – things are changing nowadays, but I think most like most instructors have gone through a phase where they win where, – where they've become good at something through what, what, I, what I call trial by fire, right? I think a lot of academies are like this, you know, where if you want to get good – Sorry, you just basically got to get your ass kicked. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Right? And I, I don't know what kind of – what school are you training at? Can I ask? Yeah, I, I train at a school here in town. It's called Fox Fitness. Um, I don't know. We've got uh, – there's myself and two other black belts and uh, – Are you a black belt? Yes. Okay. And, so uh, how, and how long have you been training? Since 2002. Since 2002. Okay, yeah. so you've been training for quite a long time already. Now, um, um, like, what was your affiliation, your instructor? Did you have a bunch of instructors, or have you had this one instructor this whole time? I've had, uh, so being here in Kansas is probably similar to being uh, in Beijing. Uh, right. we, we don't have a lot of people here, especially back uh, years ago, that would um, that would teach jiu-jitsu at a high level. I started training under a purple belt. And uh, right. and I've I've had different black belts come into town and, and teach some things. So uh, I've had uh, affiliation change. My instructor now is Andre Montero, and I see him uh-huh. several times a year. But uh, uh, yeah, I've I've definitely had uh, learned a lot from a lot of different people. Okay, and, uh, have you ever been to Brazil? No, I have not. Okay, so um, so let me let me 
okay, I've never been to Brazil either, okay, but um, I know a lot of Brazilians, and you can even like s- sort of like double check and verify this with your instructor that like basically in Brazil, what they do is is like you come to the gym, and then they give you a gi, right, and then you just get on the mat and you start sparring from the first day. Yeah, I could see that in a lot of places. And it's not just like that in Brazil. It's like that here in China, and it's like that in the United States at a lot of places. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, dude, if you let a, a dude fucking spar on his first day, man, he's liable to either himself get seriously hurt, or okay, or he's liable to seriously hurt somebody else. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, how how is he supposed to how is he supposed to like something when he gets injured? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like how you know you want him to stick with it, but it's like. What he? But he's injured, and he's injuring other people. You know what I mean? Like, I don't believe a white belt should be. I don't believe. I don't. I'm not saying a white belt should not be allowed to spar. I don't believe a white belt on his first day should be allowed to spar. Yeah. You know what I mean? I believe that you know after a certain amount of mat hours, okay, he should be allowed to spar, and he should be encouraged to spar. You know what I mean? But it's like, you know, most most academies around the world they teach by by throwing the student to, you know, a den of wolves, right? And if you don't get shredded by these wolves and you can tough it out, then you become a wolf. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if if you get shredded, sorry, bye bye. You know, it's not that it's your problem. You know what I'm saying? But it's like I don't believe that that's the best way to teach, right? Yeah, I, I agree with you 100 percent on that. You you mentioned already that uh, you know if you're a big tough guy you don't need jujitsu but if you're the yeah, the smaller guy we don't we don't need to you chase know? those smaller guys away right at the first day it's yeah. the you know what i mean and like the small guys some of the small guys are the best training partners because they're so technical you know what i mean but it's like how technical can you can you be when you're injured all the time yeah you know like because you were thrown to you know what i mean and this is the thing you know i, I think a lot of old school teachers because they had to go through that trial by fire Right? They they think it's like a sissy or pussy ass way to teach by not doing through trial by fire. You know what I mean? Like go hard or go home. Dude, I think that's the fucking lamest thing I've ever heard in my life. Go hard or go home. Yeah. You know what I mean? Dude, I'm sorry, man, but I'm I'm not I'm a fucking lawyer or dude, I'm a doctor. You know, I'm not trying to be a professional fighter, you know? But just because I'm not trying to be a professional fighter, it doesn't mean that I can't benefit from learning jujitsu. Yeah. You know? It doesn't mean that I should not be allowed to, de- to learn how to defend myself. It does not mean that I should not be allowed to fucking gain the confidence that you know all you guys have from knowing jujitsu, right? You know, it doesn't mean that I shouldn't be allowed to 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 you know grow and develop as and become a better person by learning jujitsu. You know, what just what only professional fighters are allowed to do that? No, I'm sorry, man, that's not how it is. You know. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, I I, mean, I, I agree I with you. So critical, but but you know, it's like a complete. You know, ju- man, jujitsu is a is 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 a lifestyle. You know what I mean? And you know, you're badass because you've decided to be a professional fighter. You know what I'm saying, right? So you spend eight hours a day on the mat, right, rolling. You know what I mean? But once you know jujitsu, jujitsu can be applied to every single part of your life. You know what I mean, right? You might be a badass on the mat, but you're a complete scumbag out off the mat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right? Does it mean you're you're good at jujitsu? No, it means you're good at arm bars, bro. It it means that you're good at beating people up. It doesn't mean you're good at jujitsu. Yeah. Right? You could you could be you could be a black belt in jujitsu and still be a, a fucking dirty drug dealer. You know what I mean? You can be a black belt 
you know, in arm bars and triangles, you know, but, you know, be horrible in other aspects of your life, you know. You can be cheating on your wife. You can be, you know what I'm saying, right? But yeah. this doctor, he's the best surgeon in the world. You know what I mean, right? And he got there due to the principles that he learned from doing jujitsu. You understand what I'm saying? Right? Yes. Yeah. Or he's, or he's a great businessman, or he's a great politician, or he's a great father, or you know, jujitsu is about control and it's about efficiency. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah. It's it's not it's not just arm barring somebody, right? How can you arm bar somebody, you know, heavier and and stronger than you that also knows jujitsu, right? You it's it's about timing, it's about baiting, it's about it's about tricking. It's you know what I mean? It's about, you know, playing weak in one area and and forcing the other guy to make a mistake. You know what I mean? You know, these are all like mental concepts which can be applied in in every aspect of your life, you know, at work, you know, with family relationships, with business relationships, you know, it, it, you know, it could be applied with, you know, life, you know, you run into problems, maybe, you know, you and you, you know, your wife, your girlfriend are going through a divorce or, you know, or, you know, maybe you can save yourself from going through a divorce by, you know, really seeing the problem clearly and the reason you can see this problem clearly is because of what you learned in jiu-jitsu. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does, and and I'm I'm with you on the the if if people want to to roll hard and 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 beat each other up, that's fine too. But you're chasing that's away fine. a lot of students I, when you do that. Exactly. I, I'm not Byron. I'm not saying that rolling hard yeah. is not good. Yeah, I'm with you. Know you. Know I, mean? I, I I know I know what you're saying, but it's on your first I, I, day, I, I do agree. Yeah, it's great. Not on your first day. Yeah. You know, and there are guys who will never roll hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right? Because they're rolling hard in the office. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> right? They're rolling hard in the office, right? And, you know, your, like, definition of hard for him is impossible. Why? Because he's a lawyer. You know? Yeah. Right? You go hard and go home. You're a fucking professional athlete, bro. You know? You can't expect for everybody to roll as hard as you. You understand? Yeah. He's not a pussy because he can't roll as hard as you. You know what I'm saying? Right? Yeah. But just because you can armbar the shit out of him, you're hard? No, bro. It ain't like that. Yeah. You know I mean? It ain't like that. You know? And in China, it's like people are getting brainwashed. They think that that's what jujitsu is. You know what I mean? And it's like, that's not what jujitsu is. People don't know what jujitsu is. Not here. You know? Not even a lot of the Brazilians who are teaching. You know? Because that's what they say. Oh, roll hard. Go hard or go home. You know? Yeah. Dude. You go home. (laughs) That's. I mean, I think. I think we had a similar, uh, but changing thing in the United States as just has been here longer and longer. Um, You know, you you come into class, you get beat up your first day, and then you come back, you get beat up a little bit less, and 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 now I think it's it's more common to. Yeah, everybody has to go through that. You know what I mean? Even if you know, right? Because you, it's your first day, and by nature, jujitsu is an extremely tough sport, and it weeds out people with weak character. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right? People who can't objectively look at themselves, people who can't accept that, you know, if they have too much pride or they, if they can't accept this humility, it's like you're going to get weeded out real quick. You know, but if you can put up with that, if your if your character is strong enough to go through that. Dude, there's nothing you can't go through. What's worse than having a guy, you know, that's twenty, you know, twenty kilograms? Twenty kilograms is like forty-four pounds, right? So, what's worse than having a guy forty-four, forty-four pounds mounted on top of you trying to choke you? What's worse than that? That's <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? it's a tough spot well, to be. Guess what? Life, 
can be worse than that. <laughs> yeah. Life can be worse than that. Okay. Right. You know, if you have a friend who just committed suicide, I bet you it feels like it's a lot worse than that. Than a guy that's only 44, you know, pounds mounted on top of you trying to choke you. I bet you through your life, you're going to go through stuff that's even way more difficult than that. Okay. But it's like, how do you, how do you like temper your, yourself, your character in order to be able to face that and, and get past that, you know, what you, you have to objectively look at your life and you have to, you know, see all, you have to take everything that you've learned from jujitsu and, and try to apply that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's kind of similar looking at, uh, you know, the hard times on the mat versus the hard times, you know, in your personal life or your life off the mat. And then also the hard times on the mat help you for the, the one time that you actually get attacked off the mat. It's, yeah, yeah. it's going to be worse. It's going to be a lot harder. It'll be crazy, but hopefully yeah. you've, uh, developed some, some skill and ability to deal with that. Uh, yeah. While and, you're on the and, mat. and another thing, you know, like I just want to share with you real quick, you know, there's probably a lot of, and this is for, for the people that are out there that are listening, you know, it's like, you know, I, I used to train a lot of, um, professional MMA fighters here in China. You know what I mean? And I, I had one student who, um, you know, who, who, I mean, he, he trashed a lot of guys in the gym, right? And he would trash a lot of guys in competition. He's good, really good, you know, but it's like on the street, he would get into street fights and, you know, he would get into, he would try to fight 10 guys and then these 10 guys, you know, beat him within an inch of his life and put him in the hospital, you know, or just because they said something, you know, you know, maybe said something mean to his girlfriend. In this case, you know, I would say that he didn't, he didn't really learn jujitsu. You understand what I'm saying? Right? He's good at arm bars. He's yeah. good at triangles. He's good at guillotines. He's good at the rear naked choke. He's good at takedowns. He's good at position, but he's not good at jujitsu. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? Yeah, I would say he he didn't uh, – in, in the learning of jiu-jitsu, you need to learn about your ego. And when somebody yes, insults your ego, exactly. you can let that you know? go. And so if somebody no, insults you in was, the street. Oh, you, you know, you talk to me like that? Don't you know I'm a professional MMA fighter? You know, let me prove to you that I'm a professional MMA fighter, right? He knocked out two or three guys, right? And then the rest of the seven, you know, took metal sticks and beat him in the head and wow. put him, you know, within one inch of his life. And it's like, I am sure you could have avoided that situation altogether if you would have just accepted the fact that there was 10 guys, <laughs> you know, and just, <laughs> yeah. accept, and, just, and just accepted the fact that they were fucking pieces of shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you and can't like, change what? that. You know, yeah. Wait, hey, Byron, when you walk down the street, you don't go out of your way to step on dog shit, do you? <laughs> That's true. You don't because you, yeah. you don't want to get your shoe dirty, right? Yeah. So why do you want to be rolling on the ground with, with dog shit? All those guys are, are pieces of shit. Why do you want to be rolling with them? You, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you don't step on dog shit when you walk down the street, you certainly don't want to be fucking rolling with dog shit on yeah. the street. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like people need to check their egos, man. You know? And and if if you're learning jujitsu correctly and you have a good instructor who's teaching you to not just armbar people, okay? Yeah. And to not just like get position on people because that's not jujitsu. That's just getting position on people. That's just arm barring people. That's just triangling people. Okay, that's not jujitsu, right? Jujitsu and it is different. You know, it's it's a lot. It's a lot more philosophical. It's a lot more deep, and it's a it's a complete realistic look at yourself. You know, it's it's jujitsu is about looking inwardly and not not what you can, you know. Not how many guys you can destroy on the mat yeah. in competition. 
yeah. Andy, for, me, for me, that's what it is. Andy, I'm, I can't say the same for everybody. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it is a lot of things for a lot of people, but uh, I am running a little short on time. Could you give okay, us no a little worries. bit of uh, contact information or, or maybe a website that people can go to to, to learn about yeah, your sure. train? Yeah, um, if, uh, if, if, you, if you guys are happening to come to Beijing on vacation or if you're happening to come to Beijing on a business trip and you want to stop by and you want to, want to get some training in, then you, you're always uh, free to contact me. My email is Andy, A-N-D-Y, okay, at artofwarfc.com, okay? So just shoot me an email, and uh, we'll, we're, we're happy to uh, accommodate all the guys from the BJJ Brick Podcast, okay? And if you want to see our website, then just go to artofwarfc.com, okay? Um, that's going to be set up uh, very, very shortly. And it might all be in Chinese right now. There's like a reroute to our Chinese website. But we got a lot of really cool fights. If you want to see what Chinese jiu-jitsu looks like, if you want to see what Chinese MMA looks like, then uh, come check it out. Awesome. Well, I'll put uh, links to everything on the show notes. And Andy, it's been a pleasure talking with you Awesome. Thank today. you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to talk to you, Byron. All right. Well, thank you, sir. Cool, man. Take care. You too. All right, I want to thank Andy Pye uh, for the interview. It's I'm grateful that there's a technology like Skype to where Andy really does sound like he's in, uh, you know, just across the the street from me, and he's really uh, half a world away. And uh, we mentioned before there's some not safe language in here, but uh, man, he's passionate. You know, it, you know, if you're if you're a go hard and go home, and you're chasing off all the new people. Uh, you're not doing yourself any service, and you're certainly not helping them. If, you, if a new guy comes in and you try to try to break him right away, that's not that's not helping anybody learn jujitsu. You know, if your idea of jujitsu is to to go out there and get as many fights as you can, you're not learning jujitsu. You're you're not getting it. You know, there's so much more to this than just learning how to fight and and uh, <laughs> how to choke people. There's 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 so much more. I mean, look at the article of the week and how much jujitsu has has done for for Sam and. And uh, to think that, you know, if you could chase that person away right at the beginning, how tragic that would be that, that he wouldn't have jujitsu in this. So uh, just, I mean, yeah, there's some colorful language in there, but I definitely appreciate his passion. And I didn't want to change any of this uh, interview. Uh, you know, sometimes if somebody drops one or two F-bombs, I might bleep, might cut it out just so I could keep it as a non-explicit rating. But this was not worth it. I wanted to keep his true passion in there. And I definitely appreciated that. Yeah. And. Like I was saying earlier, that that passion is what would make me want to train with him. I mean, first of all, I think his attitude is just incredible, and that's the type of person I would look for in training. But then that passion just you know goes above and beyond. If if you're that passionate, I, I kind of look at it as like, how could I go wrong training with this person? So, uh, and like you said, if you bleep those out, I think some of that passion wouldn't come across as, as much as it does. So, um, uh, you know, just an incredible interview. Yep. Hey, Gary. Uh, last week hey, we had Bart. we had a really fun time uh, sharing the Matt Tales with everybody. Uh, what Matt Tales is, check it out if you missed the episode last week. Is uh, people will actually sit down and, and type up a story about what happened to them, <laughs> jujitsu related. You know, I don't. I it, go back. We've got I think six of them now, and uh, it's just like some crazy stuff happens sometimes, and sometimes it's just related. Uh, type it up, send it to us at bjjbreak at gmail dot com, or really anything you want to send to us. That's a good way to do it, and uh, we'll go ahead and, and make it into an audio story and share it with everybody. There, people love them, but you know what, Gary? 
people don't always type them up for us and send them to us. They just we get a lot of feedback. Hey, that was so funny that 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 that, that, that guy uh, put it in the other guy's mouthpiece and didn't even realize it was a uh, you know <laughs> the wrong thing to do, you know, or or, or they they adopted that cat and they they thought that it had. Uh, had had passed away they threw it in the trash can and then the cat came running out of the trash can you know like crazy stories but uh we need people to actually uh take the time i don't know if it's five minutes or 30 and, and write up a you know a crazy story that happened to you and send it to us and so we can continue to keep that segment alive because right now like the like oscar the cat segment's kind of dead right now gary <laughs> it's definitely dead <laughs> so uh we do need you to uh to send us some uh some stories. I mean, we'll put the uh, the nice uh, music and everything around it. But I, I tell you, people are loving it. We're getting a lot of great feedback, and and it's funny. I mean, some guy missed a, a seminar because he got locked in the bathroom. <laughs> Another guy had a, a bout of uh, maybe diarrhea on somebody's face. Yeah. So there's some crazy stuff that could happen. Yeah. And I guarantee you, you people have seen some crazy stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And and. Uh, it, we can, we can list them all, but we will stop there. And uh, but, but the thing about this is because there's no Matt Tales, we have uh, Gary's audio book uh, coming out very soon. Uh, this is a time in the podcast where I will throw a title at Gary, and he will have to make it into audio book on the spot. So uh, and I don't like that. Yeah, he he definitely, but he does thrive in the situation. You know, you pick that Gary uh, in the improv situation, and he does pretty well. So uh, Gary. It's October, you know, Halloween is coming up, you know, the, the time where little kids uh, put their costumes on and ring doorbells and we give them candy. And I'm just curious to see what's in your book, uh, The BJJ Guide to Surviving Halloween. Uh, what do you got in there, Gary? Well, Byron, I'm glad uh, I'm glad that I am coming out with this book, thanks to your advice. Um, because like you said, October 31st is All Saints Day. Um, is that what Halloween's called? I don't know, Gary. It, uh, it's definitely well, a time for zombies and creepiness and and, uh, and bad things and candy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we're going to start with a, you know, it, it's not all just about defending yourself, you know, from these goblins. Because we're going to start right off the bat with with uh, candy. You think about it. What happens if you eat a lot of candy, Byron? I generally enjoy that, and uh, I uh, I do like candy. But what happens? Uh, long term, I'll get some yeah. cavities and I'll probably gain a little weight, and it's just a downward trend. Yeah. So basically, chapter one, we're going to talk about how you, you know, how jujitsu basically benefits you, you know, if you eat a lot of candy. I mean, if you eat a lot of candy and you don't do jujitsu, you know, you're going to gain weight. You're probably going to, you know, blood pressure goes up a little bit, cholesterol goes up a little bit, or, or whatever. But you're not going to be as healthy. So that's the key. I mean, who wants to eat a lot of candy? You do. I yes. do. We all do. You know, so basically, we're right off the bat. We're going to explain the benefits by burning those calories. We're going to keep our weight in check, and um, we'll be able to enjoy a little bit of candy. But that's not why most people are getting the book. Um, you know, the, that's just a you know a benefit of training jujitsu. Uh, but what's really going to happen is, you think about Halloween. People do some crazy stuff on Halloween. Why? And, you know, we talk about the premise behind it. You're dressed up in costumes, so nobody knows who you are. Yeah. So, I mean, it's easy to uh, throw firecrackers at people and throw rocks and, you know, toilet paper trees. And, and uh, you know, you got a lot of goblins out there. So, that's where jiu-jitsu comes in handy. We're going to do stuff um, like pull guard. You know, somebody comes to your house and starts trouble. 
I want you to pull guard, go to a single leg X. And, you know, from there, you can, it's, it's a benefit to both parties. Because you think about it, you get in that position with some guy who probably just put a mask on, doesn't have a whole outfit, you know, because he's just out, you know, creating mischief. You know, if, if you're out for real trucker trading, you, you got a good costume on. But you pull guard, go to that single leg X, basically, uh, you know, go to a, a double outside Ashi, rip his leg off. Then what do you got? You've got a pirate. You know, oh, just put a with the costume, on yeah. Yeah. So you think you're helping that guy out. Okay, so let's go to another thing. And let's just say we live in a, in a farm area. You know, uh, what do I got out back? I got some cows and horses. <laughs> some guy comes to your house and starts trouble. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to snap him down into a front headlock. Once you get that headlock, you're going to go for a high elbow guillotine. What's going to happen to that guy? His head's going to fall off. So what do you do? You put him on the horse. What do we have? Oh, I know where this is going, Gary. Headless horseman. We, yeah. So, I mean, most people just think about the offensive opportunities, you know, ripping legs off, you know, chopping heads off. But, man, those guys who are on the receiving end, they are now going to get more candy because they're going to have great costumes. Gary. So, uh, yeah. I, I, I got you here on the line, the author of this great book. Uh, you do have one chapter that I really didn't haven't got to yet, but I want to read, so I, I'll just have you just kind of brief me on a few things. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. The chapter, I think, is 17, Fighting in the Doorway. You know, you get the trick-or-treaters ring the doorbell, you open up, and you got your fight on hand. It's in your doorway, and you have a technique in there called ringing the doorbell. I don't think it is yeah. about the doorbell. What What is ringing the doorbell? I don't know if that's a juicy technique. Well, um, you know, it's kind of a pun on words, you know, um, uh, no pun intended. But, you know, I look at it, we're in a small space. I'm probably caught in that doorway, so I can only move front and back. I can't move side to side because I'm in a, in a doorway. And first of all, I probably wouldn't fit in the doorway if I ate a lot of candy and didn't exercise. So we'll go back to chapter one, and you'll see how important it is to exercise if you need candy. But that's another chapter. But so ringing the doorbell, my opponent can step forward and backwards plus sideways and at different angles. He's got a lot going for him. So what I have to do to finish this thing, I have to ring his doorbell. And basically his doorbell is, is I guess we call it the, the groin area. Okay. And uh, so basically what I'm going to do is a, a well-placed eagle claw. You punch him in the gumballs, huh? Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, uh, yeah. Yep. So, I mean, that normally finishes it right then and there. And, I mean, then what do we got, Byron? Remember how I've talked about the advantages of of doing this and, and, the, and the receiver, you will get more candy because they have a better outfit. Oh, because he's going to drop his bag of candy. Well, Can no, he's going to, oh. after I hit him in the gumballs, <laughs> that guy is now going to be an opera singer. So he, we can dress him as an opera singer and he'll get more candy. It's mutually beneficial. You're helping uh, trick-or-treaters with their costumes. You're defending your house uh, and possibly your own candy stash from having to give that away by attacking all the trick-or-treaters. Gary, this is an interesting book. I know it's going to sell well. The bad thing is it's not predicted to come out until just after Halloween. I think that's probably a f an error on my part. You know, Sorry, No, I buddy. did that on purpose so everybody can get it you know, really early and be ready for Halloween 2017. Oh, yeah, and then selling it like half price like it just – you know, it didn't sell well during Halloween. It'll really trick people into to get yeah, after it. And that way I get half the profits because I'm not in this <laughs> for profits. Oh, Gary, we are in this to have a lot of fun. And yeah, one way yeah. you could have fun with us is on social media, Gary. Oh, yeah. We love social media. 
Yep. We check us out on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, uh, wherever you might go. We might even be there already. Uh, we're not on Snapchat. I don't get that. I'm not. Uh, we're, we're. I think that we're too old to legally have a Snapchat. But other than that, we're on most of them. Uh, hit us up anywhere Definitely you want. Check, yep. Check us out on Tinder. <laughs> And and if uh, you want to help us out, another great way to do that would be to tell a buddy of yours. Uh, clearly, you have. We've talked a lot about friends this week, and clearly, you probably have at least a couple of them that do jujitsu and may not listen to a podcast, even uh, not even one. So, introduce them to the world of podcasting, and uh, go ahead and introduce them to our podcast if you think it's something that they would enjoy. So, uh, appreciate the help out on that and uh, bringing your friends to the Beach Brick Podcast. Yep. Hey, speaking of our friends, our Patreon friends, Rob, Sean, Greg, and Alexander, um, we have a link to uh, Patreon. It's a, it's a website for content producers. A great way to support the show is to uh, check out Patreon, and uh, you can support the show per episode. Um, all the money goes directly to putting the show on. Uh, so if you have a few extra dollars and, and uh, you really like the show and want to support us, definitely check it out. Like I said, we got a link there, and uh, we appreciate all the support we can get. And uh, don't forget, if you happen to come through the Midwest, United States, uh, we're in Wichita, Kansas, let us know. We'd love to train. And uh, like Byron said earlier, we had a couple of visitors here uh, just this last Sunday um, from Stillwater, Oklahoma. Uh, Hank the Tank and uh, Jared came to visit us. So um, it was fun training with them and uh, made a couple new friends. And, uh, you know, we'd like to uh, roll with anybody who comes, comes through town. Yep. Hey, next week, my friends, we have Peter Daniel. He uh, is running a website called Jitsu Medic. We're going to talk about a few medical-related issues and jujitsu. So uh, it's going to be an interesting episode. As things that you probably, if you don't know about them, you probably should. You know, to keep you safe. We talk about cauliflower, different skin infections, uh, you know, just basic jujitsu stuff that is going to uh, affect a lot of us. And let's say you don't have, let's say you're like uh, like me and you never really get cauliflower, but knowing about it, and I'm able to, to tell my buddy, hey man, you probably should get that trained. It, uh, it looks like it's pretty swollen up, and when you get it drained, you have to have it packed. And just learning about these things is just a, a great thing to have with you on your jiu-jitsu journey. So check us out next week. We'll catch you guys next week. And as always, stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to shower for the benefit of your training partners. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian jiu-jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu.